Paul's going to be preaching to us from John chapter 1. I'm going to read the passage to us. It's John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. I'm going to read to the end. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it is true. We believe that it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And Father, we thank you that in your kindness, you have given us your spirit to to illuminate truth to us. And you have given us those to unpack the scriptures to us, to help us understand. Father, we thank you for Paul. We thank you again for the blessing that he is to our church family here at Liberty Church. We thank you for the ministry that you have given him. We thank you for the fruit that he has borne already. And Father, we pray that, that he might bear fruit amongst us this afternoon. That as he ministers in the power of your spirit, that, that that would bear fruit in our lives. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would lead us to a place of conviction. Help us to believe in the words of the Son. Help us also to follow him, to walk in obedience. And again, Lord Jesus, we ask these things for your glory. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Neil. Thank you. You guys are um, privileged to have such an encouraging. Neil's got the gift of encouragement, hasn't he? <laughs> Literally, the, you know, I spend a, a bit of time with Neil and he's honouring and encouraging people. Um, but I have to say as well, I'm sat here and, and Neil is really encouraging me. I meet with, me, uh, with Neil every Monday and the stories he shares about you guys, it's just exactly the same guys, that, that comes out of him. So I've been so excited to hear all the stuff he's been sharing that's been going on recently with you guys, all the evidences of God's grace that is just happening continually, all the, the work that God is doing through you guys, the different people that you meet in the park, the different people that are coming, just the stories of grace has just been a 
a wonderful testimony to God's work through you guys as well. It really has. It's interesting being here as well because I've I've been here obviously at every stage. The first, the, the restaurants, what was that called? The little Nonos, and then I was I went to Maranto's. That was a weird one, wasn't it? When you're upstairs in Maranto's, I found that this is this is. I like this. this <laughs> you guys fit this place. It's nice. It's nice seeing you. So we're in John's Gospel. The reason I chose this was a couple of reasons. One, it's um, just done it about two months ago, so it was fresh. And that's one reason. But also when we did the weekend away, we were looking at evangelism. Um, and this is a direct kind of, on one level, it's a direct step, but it's also a circling back around of some of the stuff that we were talking about in evangelism. And I know something that is on your guys' heart and something that you guys want to really step into, have been stepping into, want to take it, take it further. So we'll be looking at that, that today. Okay, give me a drink. That's what Jesus says to an outcast Samaritan or a woman at a well in the middle of the day. Do you want to be healed to a man who'd been lame for 38 years? Jesus makes some provocative statements. Jesus asks some really heart-revealing, heart-opening questions. And today what we get to here is the first recorded words of his in John's Gospel. And they are, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? Which is a question I think that demands, it demands at least a reflection. It demands a pause. It's a great question to ask ourselves as we sit here, sat in the church. What are we seeking? What are you looking for? Why are you here? So I first came to a church 19 years ago. It was a church up in, up in Garston, and I was in a relationship with someone, and they invited me. And that's why I went. And if you asked me why I came, I probably would have said, well, I came for her. But the truth is, I was really intrigued as well. I asked a lot of questions, like a lot of questions. And I took those questions to God in his word. I asked the people around me. And over several weeks, God did a wonderful work in, in and through me, but also in revealing himself to me. And he showed himself to me. So I don't know why you're here. I don't know why you came to church today. I don't know what you're seeking for. But what I do know this is that the gospel that we're reading, John's gospel was written so that we would believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And that by believing, we would have life. In his name, eternal life. That's the point of John's gospel as he, as he shares it with us. You see, in looking to Jesus, I want to say this right from the start, we find more than we can possibly imagine. We find a peace that surpasses understanding. A hope that goes beyond anything that the world can offer. And an infinite and undeserved love that never leaves and never lets go. So I think the invitation in this passage here today is to come and see Jesus, come and see Jesus. So let me pray and then we'll, we'll walk through the passage. Father, I thank you so much that you are here. Father, help us to believe that. I think sometimes we pray that and we can say that, but it's real. You're here. You're amongst us. You're with us. You fill us by your spirit. You are here. Father, you're doing a work in our hearts. We need you. We need you today. We need you right now to open up your word to us. We need you need you to, to show us the truth and the beauty that is in this passage. We need you to see, we need you, Spirit, to show us the beauty and truth and the wonder of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Please help us today, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So what I want to do, just three things for us here today, folks. I just want to walk through what's going on here, this story. Then what I want to do is just pick out some things that we can look at to go, okay, well, that's really interesting. Let's have a little look at that. And then what I want to do is take those things and drop it down into our lives here today so we can live out what I think being called, we're being called to here. So we're in Bethany, is where the passage tells us, across the Jordan. And John the Baptist, he's baptised in Jews, or he's been baptised in Jews. 
And what he's doing, he's getting them ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And just before the passage that Neil read for us in verse 29, he makes that famous declaration. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So John the Baptist is pointing to Jesus. What he's saying is this is the Christ. This is the same one. This is God's chosen Messiah. It's him. And what we're told is that the next day he's standing with two of his disciples. And one of them called Andrew, who we know became the apostle. And the other's not named, which is actually really strange. So John doesn't name the other guy stood with John. And most commentators believe that it's actually John. It's the John who writes the gospel because several times through the gospel, John doesn't name himself. Yes, he calls himself the apostle that Jesus Christ loves. So I'm going to refer to him as John from, from now on. So these three men, they're, they're standing there. And as three men are, these three men are standing there, they're chatting. And what happens is Jesus Christ walks by. And I think that's just a, a, it's a boss picture, isn't it? There's loads of people. Jesus Christ is walking amongst them. They don't know who he is. He's just walking amongst them. There's no acknowledgement. But John recognising him. And John declares again, behold the Lamb of God. That's what he says. And what happens next, I think, is really interesting. Because the two men who'd been following John, who obviously respect John, they obviously get along with him. When they hear John's testimony about Jesus, they follow Jesus. You see, John's role is all about Jesus Christ. Jesus must increase, I must decrease, he says in chapter three. So, so actually what's going on here is not that they're leaving John and it's kind of like they're walking away from John. No, this is evidence that they're understanding what John's message is. That effect, in effect, really, all of John's followers should really be doing what these guys are doing. But I think as well, if we were to just take a moment to step back, you would see that this is a wonderful moment in history. See, this is the beginnings of the Christian church. Andrew and John become followers of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he knows, he turns, and he sees them. He knows the significance of what is going on here. And he speaks to them. What does he say to them? What are you seeking? Kind of consider what you're doing. And what he does, he engages them in real life questions. Existential questions. And they respond with a, a really, a, a great respect. They respond with rabbi. John and verse 38, what he does, he actually explains for us, those of us who are non-Jews, he says, look, that means teacher. Okay, these people are calling him teachers, a term of great respect. And they must have had so many questions. Questions about who he was, about, about what he came to do, about what was God's plan, about who is this Israel, you know, what is Israel going to be, what's going to happen to the kingdom, what's going on with the kingdom. So many questions, but they restrain themselves. And instead, they respectfully ask, well, where are you staying? They're trying to seek an appropriate time to ask the questions that they want to ask of Jesus Christ if he's willing. And Jesus Christ just opens that door straight away. Come and you will see. This is a warm, inside, a warm invite. Come. Come see who I am. Come see what I am. Come get acquainted with me. And don't miss what happens because it's really important what happens next. The two, man do, the two men do it. They step forward. I think sometimes we can gloss over that. They step forward. They don't pack out. The two men step forward. They go and see where Jesus Christ is staying, which probably would have been in some humble place, maybe a temporary dwelling. Possibly even people think this was a cave. But it's because it was late afternoon, the 10th hour means it would have been about 4pm. They stay with him. And they must have been buzzing. I mean, these guys have got a question and answer session with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is incredible what's going on here. They'll have been chatting. They'll have been laughing. They'll have been getting to know each other. But what's interesting is we don't know the content of this conversation because John has a focus And John, what he does, he moves the story forward 
through how the characters respond to meeting Jesus Christ. That's what he does. And the attention of John turns to Andrew. Andrew's been majorly affected by meeting Jesus Christ. And rightly so. You see, what he's heard and what he's seen and what he's witnessed is life-changing. It's life-changing news. It changes everything. So what he does is what is natural. The only natural thing to do when you discover so monumentally life-changing. He goes to tell people. Where does he go? Specifically, he goes to people he knows and people he loves. He finds his brother, Simon. He tells him, we found the Messiah. We found God sent one. Do these guys, what's clear is they're all waiting for this promised Messiah that they were reading about in the Old Testament. The one who God was promising to send to his people. And Andrew is so convinced by Jesus Christ. He's so changed. He's so determined that Simon comes with him. So what he does after meeting Jesus, he goes to find his, he goes to find his family. He says to him, come and see. And he brings Simon to Jesus Christ. And what does Simon do when he comes? And what does Jesus do when he sees Simon? He says to him, you're going to be called Cephas. Peter, the rock. You've got to remember here, folks, that Jesus Christ is not just an ordinary man. He's God. He's the son of God. Truly God, truly man. He already knows who Simon is and he knows what Simon is going to become. So, so this is not a prediction. But it's actually a declaration of who Jesus Christ is going to make him to be. And I love that. Jesus is declaring to Simon who he's going to make him to be. Psalm 139, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. What a comfort God knows every single one of the days of our lives. He prepares us for it and he takes us through it. If you know anything about Peter's life from this point on and the mess that he gets in, how weak and broken and lost he would become, I think we know what a comfort these, these words must have been to him. And the account ends here because what happens then is the narrative shifts quite quickly to the next day. And John is moving us through portions of time to walk us through Jesus Christ's life as we see here. And what he does, he goes to Galilee. And when he gets to Galilee, he finds Philip. And he calls Philip. And it's a little bit different than this when he simply says to Philip, follow me. And what does Philip do? Well, he follows him. And then hearing and spending time with Jesus, he's understanding who Jesus is. He does what is natural when he's discovered something so monumental and so life-changing. Remember, John's going to focus on how people respond to meeting Jesus Christ. What does Philip do? He goes and finds his friend, Nathaniel. He says to Nathaniel, he says, we found the same one. We found God's Messiah, the one in the Old Testament, the one that Moses and, and the Old Testament prophets prophesied about. He's come. He's Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. That's what he says. So that's how they would identify someone, through where they were from and the name of the Father. And Nathan, this guy, is from Canaan in, in, in Galilee. We find that a bit later out in the Gospels. And, and what seems apparent from, from the Gospels and other places, we see that the Galileans were actually despised. They were looked down upon by the, the people of Judah. But Nazareth and Cana were both in Galilee. But then it seems like the Galileans despised those people from Nazareth. Everyone looks, seemed to look down on people from Nazareth. It's a bit like how people... Look down on St. Helens. I'm from St. Helens and we get some grief, I'm telling you. And Nathaniel asked the question, hang on a minute, if God's chosen one, the king, the sent one were to come, would he go to Nazareth? He's basically saying Nazareth's a terrible choice of location. Would he go to St. Helens? Surely he'd go to London or New York. 
Philip's reply is short and it cuts that right through the doubt. Come and see. That's it. Come and see. Come on. Come and see. Make your own mind up. Come on. Fair play to Nathaniel. What does he do? Don't miss that. Nathaniel doesn't say, no, I'm too busy. He's got stuff to do. He goes. And he goes with them. And as they make their way to Jesus Christ, Jesus sees them. Displaying he's God and man again. He says this, Behold an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. It's a bit of a strange thing to say, but Jesus is quoting from a psalm. It's Psalm 32. And Psalm 32 is about a godly man. And the point of this, Jesus is saying that Nathaniel's a man of good character. He's a man living by faith. A man who's been waiting for the Messiah. And Jesus Christ really sees Nathaniel. Really sees him. Really knows him. And he knows that Nathaniel's got good motives, I think, in coming to him. He wants to work out some of his questions. He's not coming trying to catch Jesus out. He's actually coming to find out. He wants to examine the claims that Philip has made about the Lord Jesus Christ for himself. Nathaniel's intrigued. He says, how do you know me? Jesus replies before, replies before Philip called you. When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel's probably praying for that fig tree. He is astounded. And his answer displays it. He's like, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. That's a quick change. Nathaniel in faith sees something special and something unique about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he believes because Jesus Christ is displaying this supernatural knowledge about him. And that convinces Nathaniel about what he read in the Old Testament and all these claims that his mate Philip has made. And Jesus Christ then replies to yes to Nathaniel, but he also replies to the others around it. In verse 51, that you that he says twice, that's a plural you. And what he does, he promises Nathaniel and this rag tag early church, probably got Andrew and John and Peter and Philip around somewhere. He says it's going to be heaven sent confirmation that the one that they have acknowledged as the Messiah has been appointed by God. And he makes references to Old Testament passages. And he says, the same God who appointed Jacob as the father of the 12 tribes, it's in Genesis 28, is the same God who appoints Jesus Christ as Messiah. You're going to see this. You're going to see it. And there's so much to get from this. And what I want to do is just I want us to take us on a circle back around here, just highlighting some stuff and maybe pulling some things out. And the first things is the means by which the church, the church is built. And the first means by which the church is built is the people are brought into the church through relationship. Sorry, I'll say that again because I spoke into the water bottle. And it sounded really people are brought into the church through relationship. John the Baptist, he's standing with Andrew and John. He's built a relationship with them. Chatting, he's talking with them. It's relaxed, it's relational, it's informal. There's a relationship of trust that's been built up here. What does Andrew do? He, he immediately turns to his own family. He's in close enough relationship with his own family that he, he can just go and talk to them quickly. He's, he's in good relationship with them. Philip, what does he do? He goes to his friend. He knows Nathaniel. He knows what Nathaniel's been walking through. He knows his questions, what he's seeking for, the questions that he's asking. He knows him well enough to be able to get over a few hurdles quickly and just get straight to real life issues. People are brought into the church through relationship. But people are also brought into the church as God's people speak about Jesus Christ. Look at John the Baptist. What does he do here? He makes a very clear and very bold declaration of faith in Jesus Christ. Behold the Lamb of God. That's a big statement. He's not embarrassed. He doesn't hold back. John's not 
worried about losing friends or reputation. He's not worried about losing followers. Look what happens. He's not worried about losing influence or street cred. Andrew, he speaks about Jesus Christ to his brother. Now, on one level, you might go, well, that's actually really hard to do. It is. If you've got family who aren't Christians, and you, you, you will know that this is possibly sometimes as hard to talk to your family members than it is to people you've never met before about Jesus. He says, I found a saviour. Come and see Peter. Philip, what he does, he speaks about Jesus Christ to Nathaniel and he uses the Bible. He's like, I found a favour, come and see. A saviour, come and see. This just simple truth, simply stated. Come and see what's here. Come and see what the Old Testament is speaking about. Look, look at Jesus. So the church is built as God speak up, people speak about Jesus. The church is built as people are invited into relationship with Jesus. See, John the Baptist, he lived in, in such a way that people were just naturally drawn to Jesus, it was a kind of a, a natural outworking of his ministry, a, a, an outworking of his life, an outworking of his words is that people weren't drawn to gather around him as such. They were drawn ultimately to gather around Jesus. They looked to Jesus. Andrew, he brings Peter. You know, he's not dragging Peter here. That's really important. He, he brings Peter. And I don't know if you know enough about Peter's character from how it unfolds in the Gospels. He had a fiery side. He's not a shrinking violet. He's not an easy man to challenge or to question. You see that he's quite fiery. But Andrew invited him. And Andrew brought him. And Andrew not only invited and brought him, but he accompanied him. You've got Nathaniel who seems to be doubting about Jesus Christ and where he's from and the background and all that. But Philip still invites him. He's like, come and see. All of these guys are inviting. I found the saviour, come and see. I found the saviour, come and see. I found the saviour, come and see. The church is built as people are invited into relationship with Jesus. And we see that Jesus Christ knows his people. Jesus knows how to speak to people. John, Andrew, Philip, they're not trying clever strategies, clever arguments. They haven't got the, the best apologetics they're just pointing people to Jesus Christ and they are bringing people to Jesus. There's a simplicity to it. And they are then trusting Jesus Christ with that proclamation. They're not trying to control Jesus when they bring people to him. Best say this, Jesus. Avoid that topic, Jesus. Or don't say that or avoid talking about this. And what we see is that Jesus Christ knows his people and he draws all these people that are coming to follow him. He draws them all in specific and unique ways to them. It's the same as everyone's story here. To Andrew and John, he says, what are you seeking? He invites further conversation. He knows where they're up to, an existential question, a question that demands kind of that reflection. He invites them into further relationship at the right time and the right place. Come and you will see. He knows Peter, he knows his past, he knows his present and he knows his future. He gives assurances for the future depending on, on, on Peter's character, not just for the now. He found Philip and he knew exactly how to speak to Philip. Follow me. Okay. Difference again. He knew Nathaniel. He knew his character. He knew what he was seeking. He knew how to speak right into the heart of Nathaniel. Jesus Christ knows his people and he knows what they need to hear. He knows the best way to reveal himself to them and the best time. And we see people's response as the church is built up. See, all the people here, they, they follow Jesus Christ. We can't miss that. And we can't skip to over some of these passages. I think we get to other bits and we focus on them. But these people, they, they followed Jesus. They actually intentionally followed Jesus. And I think it's fascinating because we're seeing these 
men, these followers, these disciples, I believe at the earliest stage of the Christian life. I think this is actually a lot earlier than a lot of the other Gospels, in fact. You see that the way that it rolls out a bit later with John's Gospel. And what we see with the, 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 the disciples here, they've got loads of wrong assumptions. They've got doubts. They've got fears. They've come from different backgrounds. They've actually got a different, all got different characters. You see that in the way they respond to the call. But they all move towards Jesus. They all take that step towards Jesus as he opens himself up to them and draws them in. And we see the different characters come out with responses. Some of them ask questions of Jesus. Some respond to an invitation, some from brothers, some from friends, some from families. Some people ask questions. Some people are investing the, the, investigating the claims for themselves, going through the, the scriptures themselves. But what we see is God's people turning to Jesus, coming to Jesus, looking to Jesus, listening to Jesus. Which I think brings us to applying this here for us today. And I just want to start on, on one part that we see here. If you're not a believer here today... I think there's something which is here for you to think about in God's word. A challenge for you to think about here in God's word. We're reading the earliest stages of someone's walk of faith with the Lord Jesus Christ here. Other, other gospels shed a bit more light on, on this, but here we have the very beginning. The, the, the asking of the first questions, the awkward invite, the facing of those questions and doubts. You're not sure whether or not you can ask. All brought out into the light. So the question is, how do you respond to Jesus? What are you seeking? What are you looking for? How will you respond to this invitation from Jesus? Will you come and see? In fact, if I could ask, what do you do with questions of life and death? What do you do with questions of purpose and meaning? Do you brush them into, under the carpet? See, our culture, it masks death, doesn't it? It really does. It masks death. It hides the, the reality and fact of death. I grew up in a place called Raynell, and the, the Catholic church that I was going to was a, a, a church called St. Bart's. And to get to the doors of the church, you had to walk through graves to get there. It was a path through loads of graves on the left and loads of graves on the right. And you were reminded of the reality of death every time you went to church. You were reminded of the reality of death and it was intentional. Think of the older churches that you know about. They all have it, don't they? They all have the graveyards around the church and more often than not, you have to walk through the graveyards to get to the door of the church. And most of them were built in a time when you couldn't hide from death. Life expectancy was shorter, life was a lot more fragile. And so therefore, every time you were going to church, you were reminded that eternal life came through death. You were reminded as you went to church, so that's not a a message of hopelessness, that's actually a message of reality and hope. Yes, death is real. Yes, it's real. But eternal life is experienced through death. This world is not all that there is. We are passing through this world. That's what you are doing as you walk up there. This world is passing and it's broken and we're going to a place that is hope and that is assurance. But what our culture does, it gets rid of all that and it hides it. Even though it's a brutal reality of life that we just can't escape from. And folks, that's the wonder of the Christian gospel. Life is found through death so that we can face questions. We can face the hardest questions. There's no question too hard that we can't face and take it to God. We can have hope in dark times. Christians, we don't hide from hard questions. That Last month, I, I spent several days 
at the bedside of a lady from Cornerstone Church called um, V Hughes. And her husband is a guy called Roy, Roy Hughes, Roy and V. They've been coming to church for 50 odd, I think they were married for 50 odd years. She was a, a lady who was, in fact, sorry, I've got it written down here, 67 years, it says here, they were married for. Maybe 57, I think that might be more. She was 80, so that probably wouldn't be right, would it? But V, she had dementia and Parkinson's. And she ended up in palliative care at home with her husband at her side. And even in those darkest moments where you were going and literally this guy was watching his, his wife die right in front of him. His best friend, he said. He knew every time I went round, yes, it was devastating for him, but he knew where she was going. That is one of the darkest places you can be to watch your, life, your wife who doesn't even recognise you passing away in this life. And he had hope. He knew where she was going. He was holding a hand and singing Christian songs as she passed. How gracious is God to do that? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. He was singing that to her as she died. And V, his wife, believed in Jesus, so she followed Jesus in life. She followed Jesus through death. and She followed him to glory. That's the hope that Christians have. Do you have the same hope in death? Do you? So eternal life is only found in Jesus Christ. And would you take that step, that move towards the Lord Jesus Christ today? Come and see the Saviour. See, as believers, God has given us a task. He's given us a task as we kind of walk through this graveyard in many ways. A task to make disciples. <coughs> the last few years for us, just to reflect on this from Cornerstone Church's perspective, it's been quite destabilising. In fact, it's been really destabilising. We've had COVID. I don't know if you got it over here in Lark Lane. I'm not too sure. Um, we had COVID. We come out of COVID. We, we planted two churches quite quickly within a year of each other. So we came out of COVID, planted one towards the end of COVID and planted one a year after <coughs> that. That was destabilising for us. And we sent a lot of key people. We also at that point moved building from uh, what used to be a small, intense building where you just felt family and closeness and passion and engagement and it was us and all of a sudden we we moved to a large coal building without any heating and wooden chairs and a big organ and things falling off the walls it was destabilizing for us i'll be honest it was really disorientating and the danger within our heart as we made that move was i just want to we just want to get back to normal we want to get back to what we know. We want to be comfortable again. That was comfortable for us. That was what we knew. These transitions and these movements, they are awkward. They are com- uncomfortable. We want life to be back to normal. But our calling, folks, is not to be comfortable in life. Our calling is not to settle. Our calling is not to accumulate. Our calling is not to stagnate. Our role, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, is to make disciples. It's clear from the Gospels. Our role is to be ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ, to witness to him. We are witnesses to this same king. Wow. This region that we are part of, Merseyside, has 1.4 million people. 1.39 million at least. At least 1.39 million don't know Jesus Christ. That's well over a million people who don't know Jesus And you know what, folks? Jesus Christ's chosen means to reach them. His chosen means to reach them is us. (laughs) His people, his church in this city. I was looking at that map before. I just said to Ryan, I could could see our church on that map. It's just at the top right-hand side. I'm like, there we are. And just a load of green separating us. 
all those houses all around it. See, our calling, our calling as Cornerstone Church Liverpool is that we have a role to play in that as a church, as gospel communities, as individuals, so that every man, woman and child would hear and see the good news of Jesus Christ. So I can say that to Cornerstone Church Liverpool, but I can say this and Neil and Ryan can, I don't think will disagree with me as I say this, but folks, Liberty Church, I believe that Jesus tells us that we're part of that same mission. We're part of that same mission. We have a purpose and that's why we're here. There is a reason we are here. It is no accident, no accident that you're here right now in this city. It's no accident that you're here right now at this time. It's no accident that you are here right now in this place. Whether you are young, whether you are old, whether you are a student. Excuse me, a student, whether you are a pensioner, whether you are married, whether you are single, whether you are middle class, whether or not you're working class, we, God's people, are here for such a time as this. You have a purpose, you have an identity, and it's given to you by God. So let's let's start with us today, right here. Let's live this out this week. And I've just got four very simple, very practical ways that I think we see here there will be easy things for us to go and take out from this place and just think through and pray through this week. And it's literally build, speak, invite, and trust. First of all, build. Build relationships. Build friendships. Connect with people. Love people. Who can you do that with this week? Literally, just build. Who can you build relationships with this week? Think family. Sometimes I think we can go away from family because we think it's too easy. No, God's put you in families for reasons. Who in your family can you engage with? Who can you, in your family can you build good relationships with? Think of your friends that are all around you, maybe that God's put in your life this week or recently. Maybe some people that you've lost connection with that God's laid on your heart to reconnect with. Think of people in your community. I look at that map and there's so many streets there. You guys are scattered all over that area. Who are the people in your community that you can build relationships with? How do you do it? Maybe that's a very good question to start with. How do I build relationships with the people in my area? What's it look like for me to do it? And think, folks, long terms. Because a lot of people will not build relationships very quickly. You've got to start thinking. Instead of days and weeks, we need to start thinking in years, five years, ten-year programs of thinking, what's it look like for me to build a relationship over this amount of time? Let's think a decade. Who can you connect with? Who can you go deeper with even? Who can you love this year? Second of all, so first is build. Second is speak. How can you speak about Jesus? How can you grow in speaking about Jesus Christ over this next year? Do you struggle in this area? Do you struggle to speak about Jesus in conversation? I I do. I do. And I've got to weigh in because I'm a pastor. I've got a really easy buy. I'm like, what do you do? I'm a pastor. What's that? Well, let me tell you. You'd be surprised how often I don't take those opportunities. If that is for you, if you are struggling to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, what do you do? It might be different. Where do you start then? What was John the Baptist doing in this passage when it came, those words came out of his mouth? What was he doing? He was looking at Jesus and the words just came out. He was looking at Jesus, the words came out. So look at Jesus. Have you ever been to Snowdonia? Absolutely yeah. stunning if you're having spots, isn't it? It's really yeah. nice. If you haven't been to Snowdonia, you should take the opportunity. And we used to, we were driving there last year as a family and we were driving through this valley. We weren't really paying much attention and there was a passing point. And we'd been in the car for about an hour and a half. We've got three girls in the back who are all younger. So we thought, you know what, we'll have viewpoints. We thought we'd get out, have a look. As we got out, we got onto this viewpoint. You stood up onto the, the platform and the whole thing just opened out in front of you. 
All the way down, you could see the valley. It was a large valley. There was a gap in the middle where you could see Snowdon and the, mount, the, the mountain next to it. There was a big lake that was all the way winding down through the lake with a big valley down there. And it just made your heart go. It made you intake a breath and it made you just want to step back. It just filled you with the grandeur. The weight of the beauty just kind of hit you as you got out of the car. And my girls, who were 10, 12 and 14, all went, you can't hide from it. It was one of those moments you just, Wow. See, I think, folks, sometimes we've got a bit of a drive past Christianity. Where we're not pausing, we're not getting out the car, we're not looking at Jesus, we're not spending our time seeing the beauty of Jesus because this is not something where I'm saying, do this, do this, do this, and this will happen. No, look to Jesus. Look at him. Get out the car, gaze at him. Have your breath filled with the gospel air and just breathe it in. Be filled and feel the weight of the beauty of who Jesus is because he is beautiful. And ask him for help as you gaze at him. Don't just feel the burden of not being able to do it. Turn to him, look at him, and ask for help. See what he does. So build, speak, invite. Who can you invite to relationship with Jesus Christ? Who can you invite to get out the car with you and just look and to see? And yes, obviously I'm saying invite to church. I'm, I'm not, not saying that. But actually primarily what I'm saying is who can you invite to relationship to Jesus? That's what these guys were doing. Come and see. Come and see. Come and see the Saviour. In fact, what would it look like to actually plan and prioritise your week and your life this next year around this idea of inviting people in to come and see Jesus? So build, speak, invite, and lastly, trust. Trust Jesus to build his church. Trust him to build his church. Folks, I've been here over the past five years and I just keep seeing more and more of you added on. It's just incredible. Praise God. It's wonderful to see. And I'm just hearing stories upon stories of God's grace through you guys. You spend time with George over in Kensington. You see. You spend time with the guys from Old Park. You see. You spend time with people all over the city. God is doing a wonderful work. You read of stories. Don't believe the lies that it's telling you that God's church is not growing. It's not true, folks. There are so many stories all over the world, all over the world of God bringing his people to himself. God is at work. God is at work and he's at work in this city and he's at work in this church. So trust him, trust that he will build his church. Trust that as you speak, build in relationship, speak the gospel, invite people to relationship with him that he is working. And that effectively is what we're kind of commanded to do. Just do this and trust him with the fruit. You see, trusting actually means not trying to control things. I think we feel this at church, don't we? You kind of feel that I'm inviting someone to church and you're thinking to yourself, well, I hope it's a good message or I hope it's a certain speaker or they, hope they don't sing that song or they do sing that song or I hope that musician is or isn't on or don't mention that message or that's a bit political or all these things can just rob our joy. They really can. We're just to trust that Jesus, what does Jesus do in this account? He brings his people to himself in this so many varied ways that you'd never expect. We are to build relationships, speak about Jesus, invite people to a relationship with Jesus and trust God with the fruit. It's my prayer for you, Liberty Church, Lark Lane. I pray that you make this season, this next season that's before you, a year or a season of building, speaking, inviting, trusting, so that you can say with the disciples, we found a saviour, come and see him. Let me pray. Father, I wanna, I wanna pray for those that don't know you here today. Father, I pray that by your spirit, in your grace, that you would make this morning the, or this afternoon the, the moment, the, the time when they would see the wonderful face of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Would you by your spirit breathe life into hearts today? Would you open up eyes today? Would you show people today who you are? Would you show people today the wonder and the beauty and the truth of who your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is and what you came to do? Liberate people today, I pray. And Father, I just pray for those who know you today that you would help us to just, on one level, get out the car in a way and look to Jesus, to see Jesus, to, to be blown away, to not be able to not tell people, to not be able to not just proclaim, to not be able to not have transformed lives. Transform our lives, I pray, Father. Transform my life. Transform my mouth. Make me an ambassador and a disciple-maker in every part of my life. Make us, Father. When we go from this place, I pray, pray that we would go knowing that we are your disciples sent to make disciples, that we are your ambassadors, that we have the wonderful privilege of being your ambassadors, your beloved children called to proclaim your name to Lark Lane and Egbeth and Dingle and Toxteth and Garston and Egbeth Vale and all the areas around here, Father. Help us to see the wonderful, wonderful task that you've given us, to know that we have a purpose and we have an identity, that we have a meaning and it's all from you. We thank you for your grace towards us in Jesus. Amen. Amen.